So today, as I said earlier in the service, we celebrate Mardi Gras Sunday. Mardi Gras is actually on Tuesday. It's a French word that means Fat Tuesday. And it was the day in which we celebrate, we rejoice, and use up all the fat and all the sugar and all the good things before we give things up for Lent, sometimes for what we call fasting for those 40 days, which represent the 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for us to kind of give thanks for God's goodness, God's graciousness, God's generosity, God's abundant love, and it's, it's a wonderful day of celebration. So whether we're eating king's cake today or punch keys or whatever we're doing, it's all to celebrate God's goodness. Amen? Um, and um, I love that one of the phrases in Mardi Gras, let the good times roll, because it's really just that let's open ourselves to God's goodness. Because too often, our culture is one of critique. Amen? We're quick to criticize. We're quick to say what's wrong with the situation. We see the half glass half empty instead of half full. And so it's so good to have a day in which we're reminded that God has been so good to us, has blessed us abundantly, and has led us to this moment of celebrating this generous love that God gives us for all people. Amen? Amen. Today is also Transfiguration Sunday. I'm sure you are also prepared for that celebration. Amen. You probably bought your gifts, sent your cards, called your family, and you have a lunch plan today to celebrate the Transfiguration, right? Probably not, right? But it's, it's funny, in the Eastern Church, this is a bigger day than it is in the Western Church for whatever reason. Uh, but what I want to say is the Transfiguration is probably one of the big five events in Jesus' ministry, you know, baptism, transfiguration, uh, crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, right? But we often don't spend much time on this kind of amazing, mysterious, uh, light-giving moment called the transfiguration. Uh, it's a time in which God appears once again. Remember, God appeared at Jesus' baptism. Remember, John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan as he came up out of the water. Uh, God appeared in the form of a dove, good, yeah, and uh, said very similar things. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But today, God appears in a different format, adds a little bit more to the phrase, and, and actually encaps this season of light celebration and the revelation of who Jesus is. So I invite you to pray with me as we celebrate God's goodness and as we open ourselves to the revealing mystery of God's light. Holy One, we thank you for this beautiful day. It really is beautiful. We thank you for the guests in the room, our friends who've joined us, and those online. We pray a blessing to them as well. We thank you for Mardi Gras, this Fat Tuesday celebration in which we dance and rejoice and hear amazing music and great songs and are just reminded of your generous love in our lives and your call for us to celebrate and share that generous love with everyone. Lord God, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on us now as we encounter your story of transfiguration and transformation. We pray that in the same way the disciples were struck by this mystery, we might in some way be changed by it as well. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our very selves to what you would say to us today as we celebrate, as we rejoice, as we are in the light, and as we listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, I think I've shared this story with some of you before. Um, when I was in seminary, I was in the seminary choir. The seminary choir called the Seminary Singers. That's pretty innovative, right? Uh, the Seminary Singers, every year, 
uh, traveled on a tour. We sang every week in chapel, but around the week after Christmas, we rehearsed. And the first two weeks of January, often in this season of Epiphany, we would travel and sing. Uh, one year we traveled east to Tennessee and Alabama and so forth. One time we went north into Kansas, went up into the Rockies. But one particular tour, we did South Texas, and then we spent about four days singing in Methodist churches in Mexico. Uh, we ended up in the city of Monterrey. I don't know if anybody's been in Monterrey. It's a, it's a large city, uh, one of the largest in Mexico, and there are quite a few Methodists there. And so there's a Wesley Seminary and Wesley Methodist Church, and we were invited to sing at the seminary, and we stayed with families. It was really meaningful. Uh, and then we sang at the church, I think, two or three times. So uh, it was a great time, and, uh, but for me it was a little challenging because though I grew up in Texas, I made the mistake of never learning Spanish well, amen, right? And that's kind of critical when you're in Monterrey, right? I mean, it's really important. Uh, so I was always trying to translate, and this was before cell phones, remember? We didn't have translator, Google Translator. So we either had, you'd be amazed, it was a little book with phrases in it. You may have heard about these things a long time ago. Uh, but that really wasn't helpful to me, right? So I was always a little bit nervous and on edge because, you know, it was a different language and I'm not very good at it, and I was trying to figure it out. So we toured, we sang, it was several days. Last day, we're going to sing our last concert. We did some tour of the cathedral, and we came out of there, and we just decided we wanted a lunch to remember, right? One of those lunches that you go, yes, this was delicious, and it connected us, and all that kind of stuff. So we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken for that lunch. I know, it's Monterey, and we're at KFC, right? So I'm a little anxious because when, in the past... And other meals, we were with church families, and they were great and gracious, and so the language was less of a challenge for me. But in that moment, I had to order my own meal, right? Now, the reality is I was pretty nervous. And though the menu board was in Spanish, I, I, I get anxious, right? And if you know me well, it doesn't take much for me to get anxious, amen? And then if I get anxious, I get even more anxious, and then it's kind of an out-of-control steamroller, you know what I'm saying? So I'm anxious as we move forward in the line. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to place this order. And my friend Steve, who was my roommate on the trip and was down the hall in the dorm, he said, I'll help you out. You don't have to worry about this. I can see that you're panicked, right? So he stood next to me. We finally got to the counter. The woman was more than gracious. He helped me speak the order. I, you know, I remember speaking it very clearly. And then, uh, you know, I paid for it with him there. And, you know, I just had this sense of release. And then he said, I think you got it. So I'm just getting my change back when she says something to me. And I lean in, and she says it again. And I lean in a little bit, and you can, I don't know if you like this, I begin to feel it here and then here and then heart palpitations, looking for the AED, you know what I'm saying? And it just kept getting worse, and I couldn't understand it. So finally, I panicked, and I turned around in the restaurant and said, Steve, you've got to come up here. She's saying something to me. I can't figure it out. So Steve kind of you know, runs up to the counter, stands next to me. She leans in very intensely, says it again, and he begins to laugh. Not helpful to me, right? He laughs. He said, James, she's saying in English, extra crispy or original, right? You see what I'm saying? It was a bad moment, amen, right? Because if I had listened, if I had opened myself, I would have seen the compassion and care and intentionality of this woman to make sure I was okay, right? 
listening. That's part of the story today. There's all this glory and light and mystery of transfiguration, but ultimately, the final word is, are we listening and open to what Jesus is saying to us? So if you have your Bible, uh, or if you don't, you can have the one on your phone, or if you don't, you can use the red one that's in the seating in front of you. But I invite you to the New Testament, to the first book of the New Testament, the first of the four Gospels. Gospel means good news, chapter 17. Now I want you to hear this story. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Now, before this story, there's been a moment with the disciples in which Jesus asked them, who do you think I am? And Peter, being the achiever, right, and kind of the a high extrovert says, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one, you're the Christ. And Jesus is impressed and says, you wouldn't have known this by uh, any other person or a human revelation. This is from God and there's a celebration. And then Jesus begins to teach about what it means to be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed. And it's not quite what Peter expected. I think Peter was expecting glorious power, wonderful residence, uh, lots of recognition. And Jesus begins to talk about suffering, servanthood, dying on a cross, betrayal. And that really wasn't what Peter had bargained for. And so, and I think Peter speaks this too out of a deep love for Jesus, right? He's been following him. He cares about Jesus. He loves Jesus. And so he rebukes him. That's a pretty hard word. He rebukes him and says, Jesus, this can't happen to you. And Jesus is kind of tough on Peter, right? He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a hard word, right? Really, if anybody calls you Satan, it's kind of hard to receive. You're all acting like it's no big deal, right? And Peter's probably deeply wounded. And then Jesus begins to talk about, if you want to follow me, this is the way, the way of the cross, not the way of glamour and power. So this has been a hard lesson. And as these disciples are living into this servanthood reality, the coming of the kingdom of God, we encounter today's story. Six days later, six days afterwards, it has some biblical uh, connection Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them to a high mountain. Now, you remember, we've said this so many times, that Matthew's version of the gospel, remember gospel means good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew was probably written to record the stories of Jesus to a Jewish Christian audience. So Matthew is always teaching the faith, but always showing the links to Judaism and the history and tradition of Jewish Christians. Amen? So this whole concept of, of six days later is important, but more importantly, going up on a high mountain. Now, throughout Scripture, both in Old Testament and New, mountains are important, right? Moses received the law on a... God appeared to Moses on a... The burning bush was probably on a... Elijah goes and hides in a cave on a... You know, Jesus did a beautiful feeding of 5,000 on the side of a... Oh, you're good. You really are well prepared, right? So mountains are important, right? And Jesus goes up on a high mountain. Tradition says it might be Mount Tabor in um, Galilee. We're not for sure. But they go up on this high mountain. And I think the three disciples are probably feeling good because, remember, there are 12, and he's only chosen three. And so, hey, we've been chosen. This is great. Where's the other folks? Well, this is going to be a special day. Maybe we're having a picnic. Maybe we're having a conversation. Maybe Jesus is going to do a TED Talk. I don't know what's going to happen here, but something's going to happen here, right? And they get up there, and then look at your Bible. Some things really shift, and it's not quite what they expected. So they were there by themselves. That's important. And then suddenly things happen. 
Jesus is transfigured before them. Jesus doesn't transfigure himself. He doesn't transform himself. He is transformed by, from God. It's not his doing. The word is interesting. In, in Greek, it's really metamorphosis or transformation, but often we use the word transfigured. But whatever, Jesus is literally transformed in front of them into something mystical and unbelievable. And then scripture tells us that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Now you know that throughout scripture, when there's a light and a bright moment, there's gonna be a revelation, right? And I've said to you, if you don't remember anything that we learned here at Kingswood, if a friend of yours lights up, your life is gonna change, amen, right? Okay, that's just gonna happen. So here they are in what they think is gonna be a picnic, Jesus becomes, you know, a thousand LED lights and doesn't look like himself, and they are amazed, right? It's mysterious. It's also connected. Remember when Moses encountered God on the mountain? His face shone like the light. In fact, he had to wear a veil. And often when people encounter the holy, bright light is important, and light is a part of our faith. So Jesus um, is shining like the sun. His clothes are becoming dazzling white. I love that Luke says they were so white, it was as if they had been bleached again and again by Clorox. You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of thing. Suddenly, in the midst of all this transformation, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And I've already mentioned Moses. You'll remember Moses, everyone, right? Moses uh, led the people out of Egypt, right? And led them through 40 years of wilderness wandering across the Jordan, and then Joshua takes them on in, right? Uh, Moses received the law. Moses was a key deliverer. The whole Passover journey is connected to Moses. Moses is probably one of the top people in the faith, amen? And so he makes appearance. He also is the one who received the law, so he represents the law, and that's an important piece in the transfiguration. And then there's Elijah. You remember Elijah? He, he's, a, he's the best of the best prophets. He was taken up into heaven. Tradition says that Moses was the same way. So these two have been received up into heaven. And Elijah, remember, was the great prophet. And so he represents the prophets and prophecy. And so in many ways, their appearance is like the two top people invited to dinner. You know what I'm saying? They represent so much. There's so much symbolism and richness, and they appear in every one of the versions of this story, whether it's in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And they're talking to Jesus. And there's some sort of affirmation of who Jesus is by their very presence and their connection and their conversation. And many people would love to know what that conversation was about, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that Peter... One of the three disciples can't live in the moment. He has to try to control it. And some of us get that, right? So when we're faced with the mystery, we try to explain it away. When God calls us to do something we don't want to do, we try to explain it away. Uh, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we want to control this mystical experience so it makes sense to us. And I love what Peter does because I like Peter. I mean, he's a real pain in the cocoa sometimes. But you know what I'm saying? I really like him. And uh, he, here's the deal. Peter says, Jesus, I got a great idea. I'm going to build three structures, three uh, shelters, three tents, three dwelling places, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, it's fascinating. That word can be translated in all those ways. It can represent the shelters that the Israelites lived under in their journey of traveling around in the wilderness, 
In fact, our Jewish friends celebrate a festival called the Festival of Booths, Festival of Tabernacles, lasts a week. If you have Jewish neighbors, they build a shelter in their backyard, they live under there, they eat under there for a week. It's all a sign of remembering their wandering in the wilderness and these shelters, right? Then that word can also mean the tabernacle, that tent that moved around, that place of worship that was set up every time uh, they uh, moved. And remember, the way they were guided to move that tabernacle was God appearing in a pillar or a cloud. That's going to be important. So Peter wants to kind of institutionalize this thing, right? He wants to control it. He wants to explain it. And, and he wants to have a space for all three of them. And so I can imagine the conversation. We'll build three structures. We'll have a great parking lot. We'll have trams to bring people in. We'll have a gift shop. I've already got the website started. Anne-Marie's doing our communications plan. You know what I'm saying? We've got this all set up. He doesn't want to leave the mountain. He wants to hold on to the moment. But he can't embrace the mystery of Jesus and the transfiguration. And just as he's laying out his plans and contacting the village of Buffalo Grove about, you know, permits, a cloud moves in, a bright cloud, a, light, a cloud full of light. Remember, God spoke and guided the Israelites in the wilderness with a pillar or a cloud. You're good. And this cloud appears, and from this cloud, God speaks. This is my son, the beloved with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. So that gets added on. Very similar to the phrases God offers from the dove at the baptism, but a little bit more. This bright, brilliant cloud uh, comes up on top of the mountain, and this cloud speaks these words. This is my beloved son. This is the son I love so much. Uh, this is my beloved. Listen to him. And the disciples fall on the ground in great fear. Do we blame them, right? Let's just be honest. You go home today, you're in your backyard, a cloud suddenly appears and speaks to you. Would you not be afraid? Amen? Right? Come on. So they're in awe. They're, they're not sure what to do. I mean, God has spoken. God has identified who Jesus is. It's an affirmation of Jesus is. It's an end cap to the baptism. It's a pointing toward the resurrection. It's an amazing moment. And God says not only that this is the chosen, the beloved, the Messiah, the Son of God, but listen to him. Listen to his instruction. Listen to his direction. Listen to him. I think the disciples have had a full day. Amen, right? And then something amazing happens as they're laying on the floor or on the ground overcome with fear. Scripture says, but Jesus came to them and Jesus touched them. Often in the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, people are coming to Jesus. They're going to Jesus to be healed. They're going to Jesus with a question. They're going to Jesus in the middle of the night to ask about salvation. They're going to Jesus to be restored, to be cared for, to have a demon cast out, whatever it is. They're going to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. But in this moment, the scripture tells us that Jesus came to them and touched them. It is a, a Greek word that shows a deep sense of intentionality and a deep sense of compassion. Do you hear me? In the midst of their fear, in the midst of not explain, understanding the mystery, in the midst of God moving in their lives unexplainable, Jesus comes to them and touches them. And then he says to them these words, get up, 
and do not be afraid. That in the midst of mystery and revelation and God speaking and calling us to new things, in the midst of changing our lives and to be transformed and to see Jesus transformed before them, the word is don't sit here and build a bunch of booths. Don't sit here and live in fear, but get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus himself. Elijah and Moses are gone, and now the role of Jesus is clear. And then they go down the mountain. Just as they came up on the high mountain, they come down the high mountain. And they immediately face the needs and the brokenness and the uncertainty of the world. But don't forget those key words. Listen to him. Friends, as we conclude today, this season of Epiphany, this journey of the path, uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been discovering and learning how to get closer to Jesus, how to be more in touch with what Jesus is speaking to us, how his salvation transforms our lives. As we celebrate Mardi Gras Sunday and the goodness and generosity of music and food and friends and sacred community and being the body of Christ, as we celebrate the mystery of the light of Christ and what it means in our lives, the key thing before we go down the mountain is to listen. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to me? What is God saying to us as the church? Where are we being led? I think we're at a critical place in our world. Amen? We're at a critical place in our nation. Amen? We're at a critical place in our community. Amen? And we're at a critical place in our church. And we could be fearful. Amen? But Jesus says, you know, no, don't be afraid. Get up. And God says, listen to him and see where you're being led. Maybe God's messing with you right now. Amen? Maybe Jesus is really speaking a mysterious word into your life, calling you to something new, something different, something transformative. Maybe you're trying to stay busy or you're trying to build three shelters because you want to avoid what Jesus is trying to do in your life. Amen? And I challenge you on this day of goodness and generosity and hospitality and inclusivity and everything we're about, that what is Jesus saying to James? What is Jesus saying to you? How is Jesus speaking to you? And are you listening? Are we listening as a church? Where are we being led to reach new people? Are we listening as a church? Where are we being led to boldly serve? Where are you being called in this season of Lent to be transformed? It scares me a little bit, amen? But Jesus says, don't be afraid, get up. And then God's right there, listen to him. I pray that's your journey. Not only today with pancakes and cake, but in the days that are hard, in the days that are uncertain, in the days that are mysterious, in the days you're on a path that feels like a burden. Listen. Listen to him.